The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you, this is Cabinet of Comics. I'm your host, John Clerk. With me is mainly always is Chicago Geeks. King of Geeks. All the Chicago Geeks. In one, it's a Voltron situation. <laughs> Chicago's King of Geeks, Elliot Toronto, is here. Yeah. You are yeah. Legion, Elliot. I am. And I'm going to tell you right now, um, I've been resting a bit. The, the monarchy has been kind of like laying back and not really asserting its will in the kingdom. That's going to change, my friends. That is going to change. Uh, so there's a bunch of things. Uh, we're recording late in the week. It should get impossible to find like an hour to record. But there are a bunch of things going on. But as we were recording this, uh, news just came out that Robbie Robertson of the band passed away. And uh, if you're a classic rock fan, this hits pretty hard. But if you're a film fan, if you're a Martin Scorsese fan, if you're one of those people that has seen every Martin Scorsese picture or knows about Scorsese, you've seen The Last Waltz. And The Last Waltz is is the greatest rock and roll concert film ever because Mar- Scorsese made it in the mid-70s. And in fact, uh, did such a great job that he and Robbie Robertson got divorced from their wives after the movie, bought a house, blacked out the windows, did nothing but cocaine and watch movies. So they put a projector on the wall and two chairs and a mound of cocaine. Which brings me to ask, uh, John, why didn't we do that? Uh, because <laughs> Robert Robinson's, the, I think, the last person of the, the band to survive. <laughs> I don't know. I, I took shrooms the other week and I'm like, nothing helps me. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> my arms are droopy, but my brain is... Uh... <laughs> Uh, 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 I was talking to my little brother uh, the other day, and he was. They were talking about um, the strife that's going on in Peru right now. He has family in Peru, and had a picture of himself. He sent a picture of himself from his last trip feeding a llama, and you could see the Andes Mountains in the back. And he goes, "You do realize that uh, those are all those plants behind me? Those are coca plants. You know, that's where all the cocaine goes." And I go. I myself prefer my cocaine to be artisanally crafted in the Andes. So, <laughs> so is all the snow, by the way. Pretty much. That's why I can't. Since we're talking about it, I have never done cocaine. Um, and I, because I was told when I was 19 not to by uh, friends that were doing cocaine because they were like, nobody needs to see you more hyper. <laughs> now, I, I, well, give, no. me, give me 30 years of energy. So you know what I was like as a young man in the '90s. Nobody wanted that. I didn't really want to do that. Well, I, I I'm always reminded of the um, Bill Cosby bit. I mean, you know, the the man is problematic, but his humor is forever. Um, mm-hmm. And he talked about doing cocaine. He goes, "Well, the people tells him cocaine just amplifies your personality." He goes, "Well, what if you're an asshole?" Oh yeah, yeah. Well, every friend I had uh, that was into it just turned evil. I was like, oh, you're the evil guy now. I'm going to sit over here. I was like, the way my brain brain is wired, 
more depressants. That's what I need. Nah. So in other words, um, like that's why all those Star Trek writers turn into the mirror image, um, mirror universe versions. Cocaine, yeah. Yeah, cocaine. Yeah. It was that's what it, it had Star Trek continued into the 70s, there would have been episode after episode of Mirror Universe. <laughs> it's like um, it's like what I always say about Charles Schultz. Uh, I love Peanuts, but if you want to know what bipolar disorder is, read Peanuts straight through. Like oh, read yeah. a few months because there is mm-hmm. there is two weeks of Snoopy going, I'm a pilot, I'm gonna fight the Red Baron, I'm Joe Cool. And then right after that, there's two weeks of Charlie Brown going, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and the wave just goes up and, up down, and down every yep. two weeks for 50 years. Yeah. No, I remember I talked to his daughter about that. Yeah. 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 He, she, What'd she was- say? Oh no, that that was it. Snoopy was him. It was a, an aspect of him, yeah. of her father, as well as Charlie Brown. And yeah, um, it's funny too because um, uh, Scott Stantis, he's a, a good friend of mine. He's a, a political cartoonist. He would hang out with Charles Schultz. The stories he's told about hanging out with Charles Schultz, I wish I could repeat them. Yeah, there there are, there are many 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 stories. I've heard stories about Charles Schultz that I don't believe that are not worth telling. Repeating. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm it, like, it, I don't think that's happened, but I'm not saying it out loud. Well, no, Scott, and it wasn't with Charles Schultz, but he was talking about uh, uh, Jim Davis. Mm. Oh, yeah. Garfield. Talk about, yeah, talk about piles of cocaine. Oh, yeah. Well, uh-huh. well, well, the guy just has to draw the same three panels every day. <laughs> it's just, I'm a cat and I'm fat. All right, rest of the day's open. <laughs> and eating lasagna. Yeah, where you could see Charles Schultz was like, that's not the right line for Schroeder. <laughs> that he would just—he's not even a guy that would get up and look out the window. He would just burn a hole into the paper with his eyes. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry. I don't mean to derail this respectful conversation about mm. you know cocaine and Charles Schultz. And no, well, about <laughs> the your the band member. Oh Pat. well, Rob Robbie Robertson. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yes, Robbie Robertson was uh did actually. His final work is about to come out. The new Scorsese film. What is it? The uh, Flower Moon. So the Flower Moon, the, the new DiCaprio Children film. Children of the Flower Moon. Children of the Flower Moon. The score is by Robbie Robertson. So he was, uh, yeah, he was a very important figure in the history of rock and roll. My Some of my favorite memories are um, usually drunk. Uh, it was like late at night in the bar. If we would play the live version of it makes no difference, which breaks my heart every time. Or uh, there was a band I was in where the, the uh, bass player and I were best friends. And after practice, it was not a great band and neither one of us liked it very much. So we would leave practice and we would just sit in my house. We would sit on the floor and we would put a VHS tape tape of the last waltz from HBO. And we would buy two forties of Budweiser and we would just drink the 40s and watch all the last waltz and play every song with unplugged guitars. And that is one of my favorite memories. And in my mind, we did it every week for a year. We wow. probably did it twice. But in my mind, it was either that and then we alternated with Woodstock. That's hmm. so um yeah, if you've never seen the last waltz, definitely check it out. Uh if if not for like rock and roll history before, but for Scorsese, just the way he gets on stage. And you can also see why he would go on to like make a Bob Dylan documentary and a George Harrison documentary. Um, you know, rock and roll is is something that's really deep in Scorsese, which is why his needle drops are so goddamn good. He's like, you know, the best guy 
next to James Gunn. James Gunn wants the needle drops of Scorsese. Yeah, and, and Tarantino, too. You can tell he was mm. influenced by uh, yeah. Scorsese. And for folks who might say, well, it's a concert video, understand, this is this is before concert videos would become what they are now. Right. And it's also a documentary. It's one of those where you'd see a whole song, and then there's, like, an interview. And, man, everybody's speaking of cocaine. <laughs> there is a rumor that ILM had to uh, had to delete the cocaine on Neil Young's lip for the close-up. I don't know that I believe it. I don't know why that 70s technology that? was that good. I was going to say, why would they do that? Because cocaine on. was illegal. Still, you know, you know it, it's... Like, it's a t- product of the time. It, it was a statute of limitation. Yeah, well, the statute of limit in the seventies. Everybody was worried they were going to get arrested for marijuana, much less cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. And Neil Young was a Canadian living in California. That man was on shaky grounds. <laughs> well, he couldn't get drafted <laughs> uh, during. Uh, with, uh, it might have still been Nixon. It <laughs> was president. We're gonna bring. We're gonna have the Canadians fight our war for us. Oh, it'll be over in a minute because I'll apologize. One shot and sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. Uh, the, my only yeah. experience with the band, I'll be honest, is, I mm-hmm. mean, I, I know I've heard a lot of them, but my my first and only experience with the band is when they performed um, at, with uh, Roger Waters. They, they performed The Wall at the Berlin Wall back in oh, yeah. the 80s, was it? Yeah. The 80s, early 90s. And I had that concert video. Yeah, and they were they did one of the songs, and I was going, "Oh, it's the band." I'm like, "Yeah, what was? No, the band. What? What's the band's name? Yes." <laughs> I I literally had that conversation <laughs> fifteen minutes ago. Yeah. Robert Robertson from the band died. What band? The band. Which band? <laughs> the band. The band. And I had to go up on Cripple Creek the night they drove Old Dixie down. Ophelia. Oh, I know those songs. That's the band. Yeah, what what band? <laughs> yeah, well, they were named that because they were always backup bands. They played with Bob Dylan for a long time. They played with Screaming Jay Hawkins. They played with Doctor John. They were um, they were always a backup band, and they got to the point where they were so big, uh, they bought a house in Woodstock called Big Pink the year before Woodstock, and it was just this house where they set up all of their gear in the basement and just played and played and played, and that's what the first album was. Wow. So, and that's what I wanted to be when I was a musician. I just wanted to be like, I just wanted to be the guy playing guitar, like not flashy, not jumping around, which is not what I did at all because all I do, all I ever do is jump around. But I like that. I love the guy that just leans back in the pocket, you know, not making a big deal, but like keeping the music going, writing the songs and not singing them. And that was Robert Robertson. He was always like a real laid back dude. And you see him in the last waltz. He's wearing like a man. He's wearing a blazer and a long scarf that's like under his guitar. And he, he had this uh, Fender Strat because the last waltz was. They said they were going to break up. That was the last show they were going to play. And over the years, Robbie Robertson never rejoined them because he said we made a movie about how we broke up. Mm-hmm. And the band, you know, eighties, nineties, kept mm-hmm. getting back together, and he wouldn't do it. But he had his guitar dipped in bronze for the occasion, and it's just. It's, gorgeous he played it all night he said it was so damn heavy because it was dipped in bronze and uh you can see it in the rock and roll of fame now and that was one of those things the first time i went there that i stopped dead i'm like it's it's the last waltz guitar it's wow. like seeing jack kirby's drawing table no no that is but something. yes but you know a week after we lose paul rubens yeah that one that one hurt too yeah yeah 
Yeah, I did. I talked about it with Howie Weingarten on the show last week, but man, it just stuff keeps bubbling up. I just keep seeing like people bringing stuff back. I watched a, a Joe Blow video on the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and they basically went, Paul Rubens died, so we're just going to talk about him. <laughs> they're like, they're like, we're not comparing it to the TV show. Don't even expect that. Let's just talk about Paul Rubens in this movie. And and his completely improvised death scene. Yes, which I cannot believe they kept in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it was brilliant. It was it was brilliant. I remember when I saw it, I was like, "This is brilliant." Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you're going to keep that in. You don't get rid of that. You know, and he kicks the wall at one point. He like leans <laughs> on the stairs and kicks the yep. wall. Yeah. It's such a it's an odd film. In that video, I forgot who else was in it. I forgot Rutger Hauer is the main vampire in it. Yeah. I forgot Stephen Root is the principal in that. Oh, that's right. It's like pre-news radio Stephen Root. News yeah. radio was the first time I ever saw Stephen Root. He'll always be Mr. James in Jimmy the James. back of my head. Yep. Jimmy James, yeah, which is named after a BC Boy song about Jimi Hendrix. Oh, wow. Oh, but uh, uh, yeah, but Christy Swanson. No, 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 Christy. Mm. Christy? Christy Swanson. Yeah. She was gorgeous in that movie. She's, She's a gorgeous. Trumper now. Oh, that's a shame. I know, it really is. And oh. Luke Perry. Luke Perry basically Luke Perry. plays Xander in that. And uh, 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 Rutger Hauer, who Anne Rice mm-hmm. would say uh, she originally wanted to play Lestat if there were ever, ever was mm-hmm. a film made of Interview with a Vampire. Rutger Hauer was who she pictured. Interesting. And Rutger Hauer was – it's it's weird. I always think of Rutger Hauer from Batman Begins first, and it's a very small role late in his career. And then I go, oh, yeah, and Blade Runner. Blade Runner, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, he's the, he did a couple action movies too. Yeah. yeah, I remember the Hitcher. Wasn't it him and C. Thomas Howell? That was one when I got HBO was always on him. And isn't he the he's the guy the terrorist in Nighthawks? Isn't he? He's in Nighthawks. Yeah, Opp- opposite uh, Stallone and Billy D. Williams. Yeah, I think he's also in Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk, yes, Lady Hawk. Yeah, that's another one that another great uh, classic. Yeah, I, I really got to watch the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie again. Hilary Swank is in it mm-hmm. as like one of the friends and. You know, it, it's known now as a footnote of the TV show, and certainly the footnote, the TV show is way superior. But it's uh, it's it's always fun to see another take. Well, speaking of another take, <laughs> um, I uh, I know you haven't seen the Barbie movie yet. Not yet, no. It's it's great. Nor have I seen Oppenheimer. So I, I haven't seen I, Oppenheimer yet. I know I'm not going to pay to see that in a theater. I'm going to watch it in my living room. Yeah. I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be long. It's a movie that I want to look up and it's been an hour and a half and I, and I go, I'm going to pause this. You want to eat? That's yeah. the kind of movie that looks like to me. I've got, I got to go to the bathroom. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I like Christopher Nolan, but Interstellar took me three days. No, Interstellar was also a chore. Most of it, Tenet. I remember Tenet, I ultimately enjoyed, but good golly, uh, someone turned, I needed to turn the subtitles on so I could understand what people were saying. He doesn't like people talking. He just he just likes to fuck with people talking as much as possible. Yeah, he did that with Bane, remember? With yeah. Dark Knight Rises. They had to go back and re-record because there was so much difficulty understanding what he See, said. See, my theory is they didn't re-record it. Is that they just removed the effect on it. And I think that's why Tom Hardy was acting so big. It's like how they say you have to act through the makeup. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in a makeup. I think he was acting through the effect. So everything he said was like this! And then they put the effect on it, and then one Rose was like, "Yeah, you got to do something." And they just took the effect off, and then he's like, "I give it back to you, the people." 
he sounded like the count. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm old enough now that I got a CPAP machine, which um, means I can be Bane every night. <laughs> <laughs> I am the badge reckoning. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, uh, I want to see Bar. I'll, I'll see Barbie eventually, I'm sure, and uh, um, and Oppenheimer. I'll, I'll say this about, about Barbie with no spoilers because I'm like, well, how good is it? It's Lego movie good in the same way where you're like, this is a cash in of a toy that has no backstory. It should be terrible. And yet it's great because it exploits everything that's interesting about that toy. And it also has Will Ferrell in it <laughs> again. But. But John, I thought people weren't going back to the movies. I thought people didn't want to go to the movies. They don't want to see Indiana Jones, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> or is it that the MRAs or the you know the trolls didn't jump on Barbie soon enough to try to drag yeah, it? Yeah, they are now. Yeah. They're trying to now, but it's too late. I mean yeah, well, and I'm sorry, when Ben Shapiro comes out and starts bitching about you, uh okay, the too late. You got buddy. nothing to worry about. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. I, I'm always amused that that people always harp on Ben Shapiro, this Ben Shapiro, that Ben Shapiro. The only time I ever hear from him is when other people repeat what he said. Otherwise, was, add, yeah, like like Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, and and add to that that um, um I don't know if people you know I'll say this all the time. The only reason he's on local radio in Chicago is because he uh his sponsors pay the station to air his show. It's not the other way around. It's See, like, I didn't even know he was on the radio. That's yeah, how that's thank, how the radio. I thought he was just a guy with a Twitter handle. Yeah. I thought he was just a social media guy. No, but he you has, know, yeah. He has a podcast and a YouTube channel and his radio wow. show, which no one listens to. His his philosophy is very simple. What about men? That's it. <laughs> that's it. He went to he we went to the bar movie, which it does is a satire of toxic toxic masculinity, which I think is great. And man, Ryan Gosling's great in it. Uh, but like, unless you're a piece of shit, man, you're not going to be offended. You know, I certainly sat through that movie going, yeah, man, guys can be pieces of shit, but I didn't recognize the behavior within myself. You didn't get up and go, not all men. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag not all men. Not all men. Although it, it did really make me think, uh, how Mattel had everything covered because it, at one point in the 80s, they created Barbie and He-Man. <laughs> it's just like all of the masculinity and all of the femininity. And, yes, the and the the stereotypical, right? Yeah, I, and it it kills me because we've seen this we've seen this before. You uh, you know, people were like, "Oh, how can the Barbie movie be any good?" I mean. It, uh, it's exactly know. like how can the Lego movie be any good? It's right. just it's like it's not the same story, but it's the same angle. It's just being smart with it. Yeah. You know, and, and for being self-aware, understanding how the property is viewed, how the IP is viewed, and just poking at it and, and undermining it, which is brilliant. I mean, everything I've heard about the film, you know, shows tells me, oh, this is probably a really good movie. I just need to make the time to see it. Um, I mean, it, yeah. I will say it's worth a big screen. Yeah, just it's you know it's not a huge block, but it was a two hundred million dollar movie. It's an IMAX movie. Uh, I believe it is, but the Barbie world is very is totally immersive. Mm -hmm. Where you're like, even if most of this is CG, I can't believe you built 
all of this. It's like every Barbie playset in a town. So, so am, am, would I be uh, far-fetched in saying uh, Margot Robbie is now America's newest billion-dollar movie star? I mean, she's yeah. in, she's been in the head of a lot of things. She's she's probably um, she's up there in rarefied air. Yeah, and you know, she she was a slow build with me because uh, I haven't you know I hadn't seen a lot of what stuck with me, but I remember seeing Suicide Squad and just hating her performance and i was just like as oh, really? a supermodel trying to be a brooklyn girl but then i saw birds of prey and i was like oh she got a lot better oh. and then i saw the james gunn suicide squad and i'm like yeah she really owns harley quinn and it, it was a clear progression it was like didn't like it thought it was okay thought it was great and i'm like okay she is getting better and i loved her in this but like she understands the range yeah you know it's funny you should mention that because my Facebook memories came up uh, this past week and my little brother and I po- had posted a live video reviewing the first Suicide Squad. And what I I said, the movie's a mess, but man, Margot Robbie owns it. So I think it's funny that that would come up. Yeah, yeah. She's kind of the, she's it. She's the new, the new, the new. It. I think you were right, but I didn't like her in that first Suicide Squad movie. I don't think there's anything to recommend that first Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad movie, but I was just like, she just stuck out to me as like Australian supermodel takes three weeks of Brooklyn voice lessons. <laughs> but I really, really like Birds of Prey, and it didn't do well, and it came out mine right before the pandemic. But it's one of the DC films in the Snyder era that I, I think is uh, underappreciated. Well, it had you know, a goofy title. Yeah, it was like and the emancipation of Harley Quinn. I'm like, and then right, then I think like two weeks before the pandemic, they switched to Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey because they realized well, people don't know who the Birds of Prey were. Right, but it was a decent movie. That Ewan McGregor is a great villain in that, and you never see him as a villain. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, so now she's again. I think she's the next big, the big thing. I mean, you can put her up there now with Tom Hanks. Um, um, Tom Cruise, Harrison Ford, you know, all the, the million dollar, you know, the faces that are going to make your yeah. movie box office. Yeah. And I think, I think if she plays her cards right, she's definitely going to become like that, like a Nicole Kidman, where, you know, like as she becomes middle aged, she's just still going to keep knocking it out. Yeah. Cause well, she, she seems like she's got a really solid footing. So. And she she said she was the one who pitched it. She was the one who told uh, Warner Brothers. She's like, this movie is going to make a billion dollars. And now that Warner Brothers has made a billion dollars, would David Zaslav stop kicking it in the nuts? <laughs> is a billion enough for you? Uh, because again, he's uh, he's he's counting on this Barbie movie generating enough revenue for them through the strike, and because yeah. then they're going to be able to throw that baby up on Max at one well, point. Yeah. Well, he, he he says he loves the strike because. Profits are up because they haven't paid anybody. And I'm like, yeah, because you're not producing anything. They're going to hit that. I mean, and they're going to have people going back into their the archives and look at the old stuff. Oh, which would be great if they didn't like gut all of that too. Yeah, like, they didn't throw it off the servers. Yeah. So, uh, you know. Um, there is a 100 Years of Warner Brothers on, um, on Max that I watched. And it's like four-hour episodes. And... Oh God, it's it's jaded to all hell, and like every time David Zaslav is shown, like all 
maybe I'm taking it from it, but all all he ever has to say is that's valuable IP. That's all I get from him. Yeah. You know, where they're like, you know, Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca is like, oh, yeah, that continues to make money. It's like he could give a shit less about the quality of any of it. Well, we got to be honest, though. I mean, let's be real. Even the old the old studio guys, that's all they thought about was making the money. Oh, well, that's something you'll learn if you watch. Uh, <laughs> if you if you watch um, this series, which is like, it's OK. It's not it's not the best thing. Ever. It's kind of like the Stanley documentary on Disney Plus. Right. Like if you know anything about your history, you're going to watch them hit all the beats, you know, and you're going to be like, hey, you're missing a lot of stuff. But man, how Jack Warner screwed over the rest of the Warner Brothers <laughs> is is epic. And he locked them up in that uh, in that water tower, right? <laughs> yes. Until this very day in the 90s when the Warners escaped. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I what I wanted to get to, uh, because it's something we have seen, you posted about, it and I just finished it. And I feel like talking about underappreciated series when Amazon Prime is spending as much money as they possibly can on a Lord of the Rings series that you can't finish, no matter how hard you try. Man, the second season of Good Omens just slipped right in. And can I, dare I say it, it was better than the first. I'm like. I don't know that I'll agree with you. I, um, I will, I, I, now, A. Let's get into I get it. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I get that for sure. Mind you, I had, I had issues with the book Good Omens, the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when I, I held off on watching the series because I kept going, Man, I did not care so much for the book. I mean, to me, you know, Pr- Gaiman and Pratchett had this. For those who haven't read Good Omens, the book itself, um, it's very, it's an incredibly clever book for its time, uh, because you know, Gaiman and Pratchett have a lot of fun playing, uh, poking fun at religious dogma mm-hmm. and the stories of the Bible and how things are. So they set up this whole thing if, again, whether you read the book or you or you watch a series where the 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 Antichrist is coming back and 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 they're you know doing this whole thing where it looks like the end of the world is coming, and boom, they pull the rug out, out from under those conventions and just poke fun at it and have fun with it, which is which is great in the book, but but my problem was, um, and I had the same problem with adaptation, the Charlie Kaufman. Uh, movie yeah you know, the nicholas cage the nicholas cage and and um and uh meryl streep and chris i always forget his name a great actor I'm, I'm ashamed they keep i have this thing is chris cooper in it chris cooper chris thank cooper. you thank he's an american you. beauty yes uh, one of the most underrated actors anywhere and yes. you will see he's this. in the jason siegel muppets See, yeah, he's the bad guy in that, and he can do anything. This guy can do anything. So, um, both Good Omens and Adaptation do this bit where they set you up. It's like a long, involved joke, and they set you up for a punchline. But then, to be clever, and I'm doing the air quotes here, um, it gives you the punchline to a different joke. So it goes, it knows what your expectation is. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to just change it on you. Ha, ha, ha. So, so good omen. So it's like a Ryan Johnson in a book. Pretty much. Yes. 
Yeah, I enjoyed the book, but it's but I read it once 20 years ago. So I had very vague impressions of it when I saw yeah. the first series. But then but the series, the series changes it. The series actually gives you more of a conventional ending. Or or at least it follows through on what it promises. And I remember going, okay, this was one of the rare cases when the book or the adaptation actually is better than the, the source material. Now with Good Omens 2. There is no source material, you know, if this was Gaiman going off a, apparently he and Pratchett had already discussed a, uh, a sequel and that they were, you know, they had notes of things that were going to happen that should happen. And he was doing it, of course, with Terry Pratchett's blessing for folks who might've been a little bit upset by that, but no, it was with Pratchett's blessing. And it was a completely new story, which played off the first one, which I liked, I enjoyed. And did all the same things that, that the first Good Omens did, but to me, I thought did it a little more effectively. See, the way I looked at it was, um, I like both, and I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put pit one against the other. But the first series was six episodes to adapt a book, and the book, as much as it is a joke, and I agree, uh, the book's still an epic. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of scenes. It's in a lot of places, and. Um, I felt when I read the book, Crowley and Aziraphale were just two characters. They almost seemed to me to be the Rosencrantz and Gildan's turn of the book. Mm -hmm. Like they would come out and comment and go away. They weren't the center of it. And when this season started, the first thing I uh, noticed was like, oh, Michael McKeon didn't come back. And I was disappointed about that because Michael McKeon is great in everything. But within a couple of minutes, I realized, oh, we're just focusing directly on Crowley and Aziraphale. And uh, I, for a while, I was like, I don't see why you should do a second season. You finished the book. You know, it's not like you don't do a fourth Lord of the Rings. But I also think what helped was in between the two seasons, we had three seasons of Staged where yeah. we realized that David Tennant and Michael Sheen, who met in season one of Good, Good Omens, our best friends with amazing chemistry. And I think Neil Gaiman's like, okay, I have, and stage it turned out to be this monster hit in England, especially during lockdown when no one was making anything. It was on Hulu here. Um, but it was like, it won all of the awards. People went berserk over it. And if you haven't seen staged, uh, it was a show that was created on zoom and it was, uh, David Tennant and Michael Sheen playing themselves. the, premise was they were supposed to be in a play together but lockdown happened and they're having business meetings to try to keep things going because it's at a point i was coming out you know topically so it was at a point where we all thought okay next week we're coming back out next week and uh because of that it was the only show that was really out there it was the only show that that really took advantage of the format like parks and rec did a, a, a good job of it and a lot of things were just like reunions and table reads on zoom but stage made it the premise and you really got to know David Tennant and Michael Sheen and you got to know their wives and granted it's all scripted, but they're give and take. It's certainly knowing who those two people are and knowing what their relationship is. Uh, so they did three seasons of that. I mean, they even did a comic relief of stage of them on zoom. It, it was that level of, of, of height. And I'm sure Neil Gaiman went, well, I have these guys. So it really exploded it. And I think this season, this season to me, 
it's not lesser, but it really felt like a lower budget because a lot less characters. It all takes place almost entirely on one street. You know, John Hamm's really the only one that comes back. Miranda Richardson is in it again, but I believe she's a totally different character. Um, but it's but because of that, it's a focused story, and it's a story about the two of them, which gets lost in season one because season one's not concentrated on the two of them. The scope, yes, you're right. The scope is much much is not as grand. Mm-hmm. They do bring it in, and I love the whole, you know. But I just love the premise where it was. Uh, well, the apocalypse is coming again, and and they're like, nah, you know, we don't we don't want to do apocalypse part two. No, yeah, no, we don't need to do that. Let's 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 move on from that. Which, which is, is meta like, of like do a sequel to this show. Yeah, eh, instead of going bigger, show. which is what sequels tend to do, go bigger. They said no, let's we're gonna bring it in. Yeah. We're gonna go small. And but I will say back to staged. Um, I watched that. I binged that last season, season three like over two nights. Now, where did you see it? Because it, oh, I don't have a subscription of Brickbox. The first two seasons were on Hulu. Yeah, I actually saw you post about stage. And when I was watching Good Omens, I was like, well, now I'll watch stage and could not find it. Yeah, it's on, I went looking for it. It has to, it's on Brickbox, which was annoying. But, but again, uh, yeah, to to echo what you're saying, that last that last season was real. It what was clever, and oh, Neil Gaiman also appears in season oh, three. Yeah, of course. So he appears. It's like they do the first two episodes like traditional, like the like the first two seasons, mm-hmm. and then they pull the rug out from under that convention and they start going in a completely different direction. And I'm like, what the hell? What are they going to do? Do they now? like actually go outside and shoot on well, location, that- or are they still on Zoom? No, uh, no, they go out, but it, it no, they do go out, but okay. Uh, spoiler, okay, for folks who haven't seen right, it. Well, I haven't seen it, so you can spoil me. Okay, so the second at near the end of the second episode, there's a scene where everything kind of like somebody something break like uh, something in the scene breaks down, and they give up the whole. Oh, this is what we're doing. They all like suddenly they can see their scripts, and they okay, hold on, we need to do that over again. Da 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 da. And it's like what? And then, and then it's like they pulled that veil off, and and it's like the whole thing falls apart. And and then and then they change. They, they do a fucking Charlie Kaufman in adaptation. It changes genres. It goes from being a, a, a an improv script comedy to a documentary. So oh, interesting. Next, so like the next four episodes are why things fell apart with the series. Oh yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested in that. I I wish Hulu would put it. Put it uh, Hulu doesn't even have season one and two anymore. Bird Box is the only one that has it. Yeah, which and is the, the last episode broke my fucking heart. I well, well don't say that. Yeah. Don't tell me. Don't give me spoilers. <laughs> no, I won't tell you what it was. I'll just say though, it's it was back to the chemistry between Mike Michael Sheen and um and David Tennant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm there going first fucking. Michael Sheen, when you see him and David Tennant in Good Omens, like they play the reverse of what they are in staged. Yeah. You know, like Michael, you know, Azarafel is the the nice, lovable, you know, sweet guy, and Crowley's the Yeah, well, Crowley's a straight man. The the best I heard of it, Eric Idle said this to, on Conan O'Brien and Howie Weingarten, who was on last week, always quoted it back to me. He said, There's two types of comedians that there's the white face and the red nose. And the red nose is like the the lovable clown, yeah. And the white face is the angry straight man. And and Eric Idle said, "Well, Conan, you're the white face, and Andy, you're the red nose." Mm-hmm. And that is the relationship. You know, Michael Sheen is the red nose, yep. and Tennant's the white face. And it's 
It's funny because um, I was watching it with Jill and she was really getting into it. In fact, when it ended, she's like, oh, yeah, thank you for turning me on to this. But I could see her. She never liked Doctor Who. And I could just see her slowly becoming a Tenant fan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where she's just like, look look what he does with this mouth. Look how he does. And it, just a couple of times I'm like, his Doctor Who is this. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's this is David Tennant. And then I'm like, oh, wait a little specials. Wait a little specials, and she only knows Catherine Tate from that one season of The Office. I'm like, might be able to get you to watch the specials, yeah, or just watch that season with him and Catherine Tate. Where you know, Mm. I mean, Catherine Tate was my all time favorite companion until Amy Pond came along. Well, you talk about talk about chemistry again, and it's like Tennant knows if you look at both of those, Tennant is really good at two handers because he figures out the strengths of his co-star and he stays mm-hmm. out of that lane. Mm-hmm. And um, and he does everything the opposite of what his co-star is doing because, you know, Catherine Tate and Michael Sheen aren't the same type at all. No. Oh. But David Tennant's, as I said, David Tennant's playing David Tennant <laughs> in both series. But man, he just, he knows how to, he knows how to let that person have room. He knows how to take the ball and throw it back. And that's what's so fun about the two of them. They both, they both can do that so well. I will say another thing about a good omens that I really enjoyed was seeing um, uh, David Tennant, but with both his father-in-law and his son um, in a scene, you know, he had uh, Peter Davison. Yeah. Peter Davison is plays Job. Job. And then Ty Tennant, his son plays uh, one of Job's sons. Oh, I didn't get that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, it's like a whole family reunion here. And apparently David Tennant didn't even know that his son was cast in the, in oh, the, that's cool. the series when it, and when they, Filmed the scene, he's like, "What?" He goes, "Oh yeah, your son got cast in this." So, and he was very good. He yeah, was he very was, good. He was. I got. I, I need to go back and look at that scene again because I had no idea. I recognized Peter Davison right away. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I had no idea. But this one, this season is really fun. And this season has like one. It has one story. It has really one plot that just builds and builds and builds. There's not a lot of twists and turns, to be honest. It's just it's slowly building towards something, and you don't know what. Like the whole conceit. Well, in the first episode, it's not really a spoiler because it's the first episode. John Hamm, who played Gabriel in the first season, shows up with no memory. And, you know, and everyone wants to know why. And I realized by the time it's episode five, I'm like, they haven't said anything. <laughs> They've given us no clues. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I'm on episode six and I don't know what this series is about. But when everything came together, it was like, oh, yeah, okay. It made sense. Yeah, it made, sense. made a lot of sense. And, and I, I keep forgetting what a great comedic actor John Hamm is. I mean, I haven't seen his Fletch yeah. movie yet. I've been wanting to see see that. Uh, but John Hamm, you know, the number of times he's done Saturday Night Live and, and, and everything. The well, guy- his career after Mad Men was just appearing on, on, on other people's things to be funny. Like, right. like Bridesmaids. Yeah, yeah, Bridesmaids, 30 Rock. Like, he, he refused to star in anything until he was like a middle-aged dude. Yeah, I don't know if Mad Men like wore him out, but the other thing about Mad Men is is that was a drama where every single actor in it was really funny. Yeah, yeah. So it 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 had it. They knew how to play that air. So um, yeah, he's I, great in this. No, he is. He's very very good. And he took he took Gabriel, who I thought was an utter asshole of the first series, and he made him sympathetic in the second. And like, yeah. Oh wow! Holy shit! What? Is, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. And Miranda Richardson, man, anytime I see anybody that was in Blackadder, <laughs> it just makes me 
so happy. You know what? I am a 51 year old man, and and I and I don't think these opinions will ever change. But man, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite movie, and Black Adder is my favorite TV show. And anyone I see from either of those, John Rhys Davies shows up at something, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, Hugh Laurie. Now, one of my favorite memories was when Hugh Laurie was really big in house. Uh, they had him host Saturday Night Live. And I remember people going like, I didn't know Hugh Laurie was funny. And I was like, what? You've never did Black Adder, Fry and Laurie. Like he was a comedian for 20 years before he took this, you know, hospital drama. And I, I love guys who can switch, turn that switch back on when they want to. It's like Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks does not make comedies, but he'll go on Saturday Night Live once a year and just knock it out of the park yeah he needs to go back to making comedies yeah or it's like eddie murphy eddie murphy would like retired for a while came out of retirement and just like bam 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 and these guys like they just have that wiring i thought hugh laurie was great in veep he was hilarious he was yeah everybody's great in veep and then he's got that other show on uh, on max that they canceled the one about the space cruiser oh i didn't like it I, I gave season one a shot and man, I just, I liked the idea. And I think Armando Inucci who created Veep created it. Right. It just didn't, it just had no momentum. No. Okay. And it happens, but yeah. Uh, but he was good. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm seeing uh, Sam Richardson and everything lately coming out of Veep now. This was going to be my greatest thing in the world, but have you seen the after party? I, I watched the first episode. It's, Everyone I know loves it. It's great. It's taking me a I watched that first episode. And I was like, okay, is this what I'm going to be dealing with for, I mean, I, I don't know if I have the patience for this because it feels like, it feels like, um, it feels like a uh, uh, glass onion to me. As a, yeah. There's a little similar, bit similar premise, but yeah, I know that the story is different. And it's more of a comedy. It's like, yeah. it, it cares more about the jokes than it does about the mystery. Right. Like, uh, and you know, things like mysteries is like Ryan Johnson said this on a podcast and that's when I really gave up on mysteries. He goes, mysteries are always bullshit. He's like, there's, there's, you can never guess it because it's always some twist that you don't see coming. That's not foreshadowed. And it reminds me, it reminds me like whenever there's the Riddler in Batman, I spent years like kicking myself for never figuring out what the riddle was until I realized the riddle was always something in Gotham city that you never heard of before. <laughs> Whereas like he reads this riddle and I'm like, what could it be? And Robin's always like the butterfly exhibit at the Gotham museum. I'm like, I'm never coming up with butterfly exhibits. <laughs> it's like, yeah. they're not, they're not puzzles. They're just twisty bullshitty. Yeah. So uh, in fact, watching season one, and what keeps season one fresh is the premise that as each person tells their story, the whole show changes genre. So it's a different right. genre in every episode. One episode's animated. Oh, so, okay. uh, based on that person's memory. So it's like I, I was watching it. I watched season one when it came out, and I really liked it, mostly because of the people involved. And then uh, when season two was announced, I was like, oh, great, season two. And Joe was like, I've never seen season one. So we rewatched season one. And um, and halfway through the season, she's like, so who do you think did it? And I was like, well, first of all, I know the ending, so I'm not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I never gave a shit who did it. <laughs> I was just like, where are we going? What are the jokes? Yeah. Like, it's fun to watch it all fit together, but I, you can't get ahead of a murder mystery. That's the whole point of them. Yeah. Well, and again, it's, uh, 
as you said, it's it's um, not so much the destination, but the journey. So. Yeah, and that, and it is really fun. I think um, season two is a little more sedate than season one, because season one is like season one takes place at an after party at a um, high school reunion. So everybody has like these vendetta back and forth. Season two takes place the day after a wedding. And um, the cast is just, just as good. Same detective. Uh, yeah. And, and Sam Richardson comes back and, but it's still Tiffany Haddish, okay. but you know what? Um, only murders in the building came back this week. So we watched the first two episodes of that. And again, it's like, um, I have to remind myself, <laughs> like I remembered, I remembered who did it in season one. And like, we literally, we had to have a five minute conversation about season two. I was like, yeah, I like season two. Who, who killed them in season two? Who the hell was it? Took. Cause I, I don't care. I, I was going to say with only murders in the building, I I don't care so much about the mystery as I like the characters. I yeah, like the characters. I don't even like the characters. I like Steve Martin and Martin Short. Well, that yeah, you know, we saw them at Chicago Theater a couple of months ago. It's just like I like their interplay. So it's like I don't really even care who they're playing or what they want. Right. It's just the two. I like that there's a show starring the two of them, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's all that recommends it. But I mean, it's gotten so big. I think it's Hulu's biggest show. I mean, Meryl Streep and Paul Rudd are in this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's huge. Well, my greatest thing in the world is the, uh, subspace Rhapsody, the musical episode of Star Trek. Oh yeah. I wanted to get to that too. Um, I'll tell you, let's get Uh, into it. I loved it. I loved it. And I know there are, there are a lot of Star Trek nerds who are angry. And, oh, yeah. And, and and I'm sorry, John Suntress did not. Oh, <laughs> did he? <laughs> well, I, I thought it was fun. I think the um you know the the fir- the easy the easy um comparison to make is Buffy's Once More with Feeling. Yep. yep. And I did think the songs in Once More with Feeling were more memorable. Yeah. Uh, I did. I felt like every song was kind of the same genre. They were all very good. I was very impressed with everyone's singing voice. Oh yeah, because they all oh, sounded real. Nobody sounded auto tune. Nobody, nobody sounded like they gave them the easy song to get them through. Mm-hmm. Like even once more with feeling, it's like Xander can't sing. Right. <laughs> you know, like like they just have him like William Shatner talk his way through the songs. But man, some you know some of them are really belting in this. Yeah, well, Christina Chong is really. Oh like yeah. That. You know, she's she's a she's a singer. I mean, um, and I forgot the the actress who plays Uhura. Cecilia Rose. Yeah, Green, she's a, she's won Grammys. So yeah, these are, these are and Ethan Peck. Oh my goodness, the pipes on that man! It's so funny. Uh, I was watching with Sebastian, and Sebastian's like, "Why can Spock sing so well? His voice is so deep." I'm like, "He's singing all the low notes." He's like, "Oh, you could do that." <laughs> <laughs> yes. They're going, yeah. wow, uh, vo- those vocal cords like butter, I swear. Um, but no, it was, uh, yeah, I'm with you. The songs, you know, not all, some of the songs I didn't care so much. Uh, but there were, I, I liked them singing more than I liked the songs. Like I could, I could probably sing you six of the Buffy songs right now because mm-hmm. they were so memorable. And this, I was like, well, you know, the guy sang something like sound like this guy. They were all very like, of a type they're all musical type right but 
they didn't really switch genres as much as Joss Whedon did. But I, yeah, I thought everybody was good. And my opinion is if, if you can buy lower deck showing up two weeks ago, if you can, if you can buy the cartoon characters on the enterprise, you can buy that. They're all singing in this episode too. Like it's stranger worlds is made to be elastic. Yeah, but there are a lot of people who don't buy the lower decks crossover too. Well, then those are those are not the fans they're talking to. Right, because they're again. Wait a minute. So now you're saying that everything that happens in lower decks is canon? I yes, God. Next person. I said that in canon. season one. God damn it. I know, but I go. If can we please stop talking about canon when it comes to imaginary stories? <laughs> well, we're at the point now where um, we're at. I feel like Star Trek is at the DC point of its evolution because. You know, we've we have three types of Klingons running around. You know, uh, like I I did I did a lot of the stuff John Centris was trying to do with the early season of Discovery. Like, how the fuck does this fit? And for a couple of seasons, I was like, oh, it's the Kelvin universe. This is this is uh, this is going to line up to J.J. Abrams because they didn't really use the Klingons. And every it looks like this. It has all these reflective things. But once they brought in the Enterprise and the Strange New Worlds, I was like, oh shit. But there, Strange New Worlds has done a really, really good job of bridging all of that. Yeah, and I mean and, everything goes everything goes through Strange New Worlds. Yeah, because you don't. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, in the in the Enterprise in the J.J. Abrams, uh, Uhura and Spock are an item that doesn't happen. In, no, in, in this series. and that's not going to happen here. Strange New Worlds is making much more of an effort to lean into the. Original series. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas like JJ Abrams just like took the ball and ran away with it. And we were like, they didn't really care to line it up more than they cared about like taking beats that you remembered. Right. Like, you know, of course, like let's do Khan again and that movie, you know, let, let's rip off the best Star Trek movie to make the worst Star Trek movie. And not even to rip off the good parts. You know? No, get it backwards. Get it all wrong. <laughs> You know, so I, I, you know, I'll take it back. Star Trek Into Darkness will never be the worst movie as long as they let Shatner direct one. <laughs> well, uh, I, again, poor Shatner. I mean, listen to me defending uh, William Shatner. I mean, the guy did get hamstrung with a lot of things that he wanted to do that then the studio cut it. There's still, there's nothing good in Final Frontier. You know what? Like, I, I see more good in Nemesis. We used to always have this argument I used to have this argument with Mike Trucker, who's a good friend of the show. Uh, like, what's a worse movie, Star Trek Nemesis or Star Trek Final Frontier? Because Star Trek Nemesis, if you watch the deleted scenes, Star Trek Nemesis was going to be a really good movie. And then uh, the director didn't understand it, hacked it up, the, got the tone completely wrong, and it went from being a really great script to a bad movie. Star Trek Final Frontier was never going to be any good. <laughs> Uh, Even his idea of like we're gonna go find God and fight rock people, and Sean Connery's gonna be Spock's brother—that's what he wanted, and he didn't get. Eh, well, you know, again, uh, I'm like all with with Stark. Oh, but and it, going back with the canon bit, I mean, people get all pissed off. Yeah. But guys, um, we've had how many different incarnations of Batman? All right, um, right. You know, we're on our third Spock, so at some point you got to let go of the of the the handlebars and go. That's why I say we're we're DC. It's 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 like Batman. It's like we're gonna reinvent it. You know, we're gonna say it counts and we're gonna lean to his. But 
but there's there's no way like the Star Wars prequels, there is no way Strange New Worlds becomes TOS. It's such a downgrade in budget yeah. that there's no way to reconcile those two. And the original series, in some cases, is just really bad. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I used to say back when Next Gen was on and I was a bigger fan of TOS, I used to say that um, when, when Next Gen is bad, it's boring. I still stand behind that. There's a lot of boring episodes of Next Gen. But when TOS is bad, it's hilarious. Because <laughs> you have people getting angry about what they're doing with the Gorn. Yeah. You see what's happening? Look at the original Gorn, okay? It was a guy in a rubber suit. Yes. Right? If that, that's what you want to bring back, that's what you're that's the hill. You're gonna die on fighting for the guy in a rubber suit that that William Shatner fought, you know, on a well, rock. Well, you know, it's funny. I always think of the Mirror Universe episode of Enterprise, and I watched that with a good friend of mine who uh, was working at Diamond Toys when they had the like the Enterprise license. And I remember he sat me down that night. He was like, "They're gonna bring the Gorn on. It's gonna be CG. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be fantastic." And we watched it. I was like, yeah, that was really good. That was really good CG. And now they tortured that episode. Look at this horrible CG. This is an embarrassment. They should never have done it. It's like, I remember Species 8472 being a big goddamn deal for a few months. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can't hang your hat on effects. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, but people, I guess that's what we trade in these days. So for all you Star Trek nerds who... Didn't like uh, uh, Subspace Rhapsody. Eh, sorry. You yeah, know. I. Uh, but you know what? Star Strange New Worlds, I think you can't get mad at it as a show because I was having this conversation with Mike Kaplan, who owns Mr. Wayne's. The whiplash and tone. You got the Lower Decks episode. In between the Lower Decks episode and the musical episode was maybe the darkest episode of Star Trek I have ever seen. Yeah, let's talk about war and PTSD. Yeah, and people were saying this is the Deep Space Nine episode, and Mike was saying, "Oh God, Deep Space Nine never went this dark." <laughs> it was like they went dark in a '90s kind of way, like like the X Files are like, "Ooh, we're dark." <laughs> you know, we listen to grunge. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw an article that called uh, Deep Space Nine Star Trek's grunge period, and it will never leave my brain. Yeah, but they kind of works. They kind of they were. It was the '90s, and everything yeah. was darker everything yeah. everything had smoke on it <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah but man that episode was so so and i was not prepared for it because i was like oh look a klingon this is gonna be great and, and i sat i sat my 10 year old down in front of it yeah and then the very next episode you got klingon singing and dancing like a boy band like mm-hmm. the, what talk about whiplash yeah <laughs> it's a wide wide net it you know what it's as wide a net as tos because man space hippies <laughs> how many know? times do space hippies take over the enterprise okay if, it's if- once but it feels like way more <laughs> well no well space hippies take over the enterprise then like a loner slacker charles manson kid takes over the enterprise right. then a bunch of six-year-olds take over the enterprise yep and then and then in wrath of khan well it's not the enterprise but it's uh the other ship, the Excelsior, which is the one that gets taken over. No, it's the Reliant. The Reliant. The Reliant, yes. The Reliant gets yeah. taken over yeah, by. But they're a hair metal band. Con, yeah, Con and Space Hippies. No, it's got the Phoenix, the guy who played the Phoenix on, on ABC television. I remember him. 
That's yeah, they, Sippy. Yes. He's the one that goes, I can't. <laughs> he did an X-Files. So, uh, raise them. I can't. <laughs> Some augment you turned out to be. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? I, I just I love that we can talk this much about Star Trek. I feel like it's been years since we were able to do this. And we've had we're now we've had six years of new Star Trek. Discovery's going into season five, but it's taken years off. Like it came back in 2017. But I feel like it's been the last year, certainly since Picard season three. That's like we we have more to say about Star Trek than we do about Star Wars. In fact, XO6, the company that makes the 12 inch figures is just banging them out of the park. Like, one a month, one a month. And uh, they just announced Big Chief, the company that does the Doctor Who 12-inch figures, out of business. Oh, wow. So it's like, that. you know, there's only there's only one franchise that's going to be on top. Yeah, yeah. And if, if, uh, if uh, Bob Iger has his way... Who knows what's going to happen? I've heard they've been cutting back a lot on on Marvel and Star Wars. Yeah, I'm okay with less though. I'm okay, but man, I finished Secret Invasion and I will join the trolls on that bridge or under that bridge to complete the metaphor. I didn't bother. I was like, it was, it was, it was just, it was bad. What made me upset wasn't so much the MCU, but I was like, this is the first television series that Samuel L. Jackson has ever made. And it stinks. No, no. Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, uh, we'll be talking about him on um, Far From Home, but he's been phoning it in ever since. Yeah, no, he's good in it. Actually, you can see him trying in this, but there's nothing to work with. You can see him trying. Yeah, that's not a good sign. You know, uh, you know, the, as Sean Connery said in The Rock, <laughs> losers, right? Was it? <laughs> Losers talk about trying. <laughs> Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> my 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 favorite line of uh, my favorite line Sean Connery ever did was Charlie William Shatner. I say no. <laughs> I love that on his desk there was like there was like Indiana Jones's father directed by Steven Spielberg, and Spock's brother directed by Kirk. <laughs> now this is a conundrum. <laughs> Didn't uh, Shatner play his own brother? Yes, Sam, who's now a character on Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds, yeah. It was William Shatner with a mustache. But he, to be fair, he played his brother's dead body. Oh, all right. So, you know, it's a real stretch for Shatner. What'd be mean to Shatner on this episode? Some guy, some guy. Well, don't, I think he can handle it. <laughs> sorry. guy's 93 and he looks 60 yeah well elliot uh in this brave new world of social networking how do we find you well you can find me on instagram and facebook and threads now i am now on threads um at elliot serrano with two l's two t's and two r's you can find me on x as it's called now uh, but I'm I don't even I don't even um lurk on there anymore. I don't do any of that. So uh come on over to the cool kids club. If anyone has a blue sky invite they want to share, I'll take it. I'll try it out. And you can find me at not on my book on t- Instagram. Uh I have pushed Twitter further and further back in my phone. I love the fact that he just called it X. Didn't have the rights. I was like, X 
X is a placeholder thing. I was saying to Jill, I was like, why don't you just name it TBD? And then I realized, because TBD stands for Twitter be dying. Or Twitter be dead. (laughs) (laughs) So I I am also on threads. I haven't done a thing with it. Uh, I'm a little annoyed because I'm, I'm old school and I'm a Luddite. I'm annoyed that there's no desktop experience for it. You know, uh, if I, if I'm on my laptop, I don't want to go to my phone. So I've, I've only checked it a few times, but I'm not on my book there too, but really talk about old and Luddites. It's all on Facebook. (laughs) That is owning everything. Where all your grandmas are too. Yeah. And that's where caffeinated comics is. You can go to the caffeinated comics page and that's where we post all the news. That's fit to geek things like trailers. Um, Star Wars, Las Vegas, uh, Star Trek Las Vegas happened. Oh, apparently Prodigy Season 2 is being completed, but it doesn't have a home, which is oh. very interesting. Paramount Plus dropped it, but Paramount is going to finish the season and then find a way to put it out. It'll probably end up on Netflix. Or, you know what, it's funny. Um, where am I finding uh, the uh, a bunch of Star Trek stuff? Uh, um, not, uh, was it uh, uh, Hulu? Or you know, is this still on Hulu? It used to be on everything. Everything, but and, um, but we'll talk about this. We'll talk about this on um on the next MCU review. But I'm getting a little bit annoyed now with these these uh, franchises getting broken up because now uh, if I want to watch a spider the Spider Man movies, I got to go to fucking Stars. I'm not subscribing to Stars. I, you know what? Again, old school. I have a DVD mentality. I'm going to buy across the Spider Verse tonight because it can move all over wherever it wants. Yeah. But it's in my library. Yeah. Say, hey, remember? I used to tell you that. I used to tell you that. Uh, physical media got to get. No, no. I'm 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 gonna buy it on iTunes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, you did get me to like scour half price books for next generation and, and beg you for seasons of it to get it back on disc. But I also find I'm not putting the discs in. I'm like, I've become that lazy where I have a Blu-ray player in the living room and I have the PlayStation five downstairs, but man, I'm still just going to Paramount plus and watching Star Trek. If it's there, but things are getting harder and harder to find. And that's also in my library. I know it is, you know, the, the golden era of streaming is gone. And I feel like that's something we're big, covering for a while but one of the things we will be covering as you said on the mcu review is spider-man far from home it's been a while since we did endgame and uh we were actually supposed to do it today and i pulled the plug because i had to go get my cpap on <laughs> Man, no problems i mean I, I it's a that again i was trying to find it it's not on disney plus it's on stars i had to find the old blu-ray so i could watch it so yeah, yeah, it's in my library. So, uh, but we'll be covering that uh, on the next episode of MCU Review. But either way, we will talk to you next week.